And uh, we're in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, Lord willing. Matthew chapter 7, we want to look at. Matthew chapter 7. I've got uh, several passages of Scripture, so don't put your Bibles away during the service. Just keep them ready and available because we'll be turning to a lot of places. But Matthew chapter 7, we'll start with looking at verses 15 through 20. And when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Matthew chapter 7. Start with verse 15. And here the Bible says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Father, we come to you this morning asking for your help in this message. Lord, we thank you for the reading of the scripture, Lord. And we're just praying now that you go out and do a mighty work in our hearts. And God, whatever it is that you want to be accomplished and pleases you, God, may that be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to speak to you this morning for just a little bit concerning false prophets. Uh, I want to cover several things during this uh, message, such as what is a false prophet? How can we discern a false prophet? The dangers of false prophets? And finally, what to do about false prophets? We find the Bible tells us all these answers. So first of all, we need a good, a, a good clear definition exactly what is a false prophet. Well, here in our opening text, the Lord Jesus is warning about false prophets. That's what it says there, beware of false prophets. Uh, these words used here, false and prophets in the Greek, is pseudo-prophetes, which comes from two different words. Pseudos, which means false, untrue, erroneous, deceitful, and wicked. And the other, prophetes, which means a prophet, a foreteller, an inspired speaker. Now, we all know what a prophet is. We've read about them all through the Bible. We've got books of the Bible uh, written here by prophets. So in the Old Testament, the Bible describes men that are called by God to foretell of future events. Now, in most cases, these men did not have a clue what they were foretelling, but they were just saying what God told them to say. And whatever event happened, then, then it happened. And if it did not happen, they were not a true, true prophet, according to the Bible. And so these men that God would call to foretell the future events, they were known as prophets. And now that we have the entire canon of Scripture available to us, there is no longer an office of a prophet like we knew of in the old days. Now, today, if a man preaches the Word of God, he, he could be considered a prophet, but he's only prophesying what God has thus already said. They don't, God's not giving new revelation today. He's not speaking to men and telling them of new things that's going to happen. He's written it all down in his word. And so these false prophets that Jesus is referring to here, they be self-called teachers or claiming to be sent by God to deliver his message. So not much different than a lot of men that we hear of today. And you may be wondering, why in the world are we talking about false prophets? Well, it's very important to understand that there are more false prophets today than there ever has been. 
It's so easy these days for somebody to get up and to claim something and to, uh, to get it to go viral and get a lot of people following them. And before you know it, you've got a false prophet who's got an audience of thousands, if not millions. And so we need to be very careful. You may remember David Koresh. Everybody remember him back in 1993? I remember it. The year our daughter was born, and he had his own little cult there, the Branch Davidians, as in David Idians. Davidians, Branch Davidians. You may remember in Waco, Texas, in the compound they put themselves in, the ATF and the FBI came, and, and uh, they had the, the big shootout and all, and all those people died. Uh, but uh, he was doing all kinds of things under the guise that God had called him to do this. God had called him to have relations with children and, and uh, multiple women and all these things that he did back then, uh, uh, convincing people to kill themselves. And, of course, Jim Jones, we all remember that. He's probably the epitome of a, of a cult leader. Uh, the People's Temple, back in 1978, 909 people drank the Kool-Aid and killed themselves, including he died as well. Uh, not the same way, though, that they did, but he died. Uh, but uh, remember him? And then there's Marshall uh, Applewhite, the Heaven's Gate cult. Everybody remember him? Uh, they were looking for the, what was it, the... the uh, yeah, the hell Bob Comet. Bob Comet's going to come, and they were uh, going to get on it somehow and, and be transported into heaven. Uh, the time comes, and what did they do? They, they all committed suicide. Thirty-nine people committed suicide. But he had convinced all those people that God had told him these things and that, that God ha was requiring them to sell their homes and give up everything that they had so that they could uh, participate in this uh, event. And then you may hear of some that were, you would have thought was a legitimate, like Harold Camping. I hate to speak of him, or all these men are dead, but I hate to speak in a bad way. He had a family radio, and boy, it was broadcast all over the world for, for years. But he falsely, falsely predicted the end of times numerous times, three or four times. He convinced people to give money uh, toward his his cause and to milk them out of their savings and everything else and there was people that completely sold everything that they had gave up all their possessions waiting for that day that he said that god had told him when the end of time was coming and it never did it never did and so there are men like these that we think about that are false prophets we call them cult leaders nowadays but they're false prophets now, there are several mentioned in the Bible. For instance, in the Old Testament, the prophets of Baal probably is the most dominant one that we hear about. And you can read about them in Jeremiah 2 and 8. Uh, in Jeremiah, there's also a false prophet named Pashur. And then also Hananiah, son of Ezur. And then Ahab, son of Kolaiah. Zedekiah, son of uh, Maseiah. Shem 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 Shemaiah in Jeremiah is another false prophet. And, of course, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets in the grove there uh, that Elijah uh, slew there uh, in 1 Kings. And then the New Testament, we, we hear about Balaam, both in the Old and New Testament. Uh, Elimus, the sorcerer, whose real name was Bar-Jesus. We'll talk about him here in just a little bit. The damsel with the spirit of divination that went before uh, Paul, uh, you know, saying these, these men are, uh, you know, she was announcing their coming. And in the false prophetess Jezebel, of course, probably one of the most infamous. 
so the New Testament and the Old Testament both are warning of false prophets all through the Scripture. And there are other names of false prophets given, such as wolves in sheep's clothing. That's, that's one term used. Ravening wolves, like the Lord used here. Grievous were wolves, false teachers, antichrist, evil men and seducers. All these are considered false prophets. Now, God placed strict uh, restrictions on the prophets when he gave the law to Moses. If you want to look at it, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verses 18 through 22, Deuteronomy 18 and verse 18, the Bible says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So uh, here in the, in the Old Testament, God's law to Moses about prophets it was very uh, strict. If, they're, if what they're saying does not come to pass, they're a false prophet. They're not, they're not right. And so the Old Testament prophets were held up to a standard. Uh, if they claimed to be a word from God and it didn't pass, they were considered a false prophet and they were to be put to death. Now that's a, that's a pretty strong thing there. Uh, God, he, uh, he doesn't take it lightly when people speak on his behalf, when he's not called them to do so. Well, in the day in which we live, we know, like I said, God's not giving new prophecy. Uh, he's already spoken it in his word, everything he wants us to know. Therefore, if someone claims to be speaking for God, they must speak from what he's already written in his holy word. If somebody comes to you and say, well, I want you to know what God revealed to me. Now, you're not going to find it in the Bible, but he told me specifically. Now, that's where you get these false religions that come up and the cults and things. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, all these are based on false prophets. They, they have claimed to get a word from God that he did not give them. And so, uh, what was his name there? He said that the, the angel uh, Marconi came to him and uh, buried some plates up on a hill and he went and dug the plates up and so he started his own religion. Uh, look, Friends, God's not telling men new things and new prophecies. Uh, the New Testament gives us a guideline to follow concerning these false prophets. First John 4, 1 through 3. Brother Scott uh, taught about this just uh, three or four weeks ago when we were in that book. First John 4. In verse 1 it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world." So one surefire way of discerning a false prophet is to see whether or not they are confessing Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
uh, or not. If somebody comes and just claims Jesus as being a, a good teacher, uh, you know, a prophet of, of old or, or something along those lines, somebody good to follow or something like that, they're not a true prophet. Uh, if, if they don't come and they're preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ coming here to die for our sins, that he came here in the flesh and died and he was buried and rose again on the third day, if they're not preaching or teaching that, they are a false prophet. And so, uh, look, if their message is always about me, myself, I, my ministry, what I've done, what I can do, if you give me so much money, we can accomplish this, and God wants to bless you with stuff, that's a false prophet. That's not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible about any of that stuff. And so these false prophets, they don't speak of Jesus Christ and his bodily presence, or his sacrificial death on the cross, or his burial and resurrection, and you can you can mark them down as false. Now, we're told of a false prophet in the New Testament, and we mentioned him a while ago, that Paul and Barmas had to deal with. His name was Bar-Jesus. Uh, Bar-Easus, which is interesting enough, means son of Easus, which means son of Jesus, or son of Joshua. Uh, but that's not what the people called him. He didn't want to be called by his real name. They called him by another name, Elimus, which means wizard, sorcerer, or magus. In other words, he was a magician. He dealt in black arts. He was evil. Look at it if you want to there in Acts chapter 13, starting with verse 4, Acts 13 and verse 4. It says, So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Pappas, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O oh, full of all subtly and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, when this false prophet heard about Paul and Barnabas being in town, and how great power they were demonstrating that God was allowing them to do, and given them through the Holy Ghost, he knew that he would be exposed for the fraud that he was. And so to try to keep it from this deputy here, uh, what was his name, Sergius Paulus, he didn't want him to get wind of it. And so he goes about trying to, to disclaim what these men are doing. And so he withstood them, which means he opposed them. So he stood up and said, don't anybody listen to these men. You know who I am. I'm Elimus the sorcerer. Uh, don't listen to them. And so he's trying to persuade people not to listen to Paul and Barnabas, especially this deputy. 
Uh, this deputy was a Roman proconsul, and so he had a high-ranking position in the government, and uh, he had a lot of influence on the city. So if he could convince that man that Paul and Barnabas are false prophets or they shouldn't be listened to or they're causing trouble or whatever it is, then uh, he would have the influence to have the whole city against them. And so Elimus didn't want Sergius to be on Paul and Barnabas' side, so he did everything he could to intervene. Uh, we talked about a man this morning in the Sunday school lesson there in, in 3 John. Um, I can't recall his name. Diotrephus, I believe it was something like that. And how he was in the church trying to get all the attention for himself. And so when people would come in to teach the truth and preach the truth, he would run them off. And uh, anybody that, that tried to welcome them in, he would kick them out of the church. And so that's the kind of false prophets that you have. They don't want anybody to to uh, do anything against them or to cause the, to uh, take their power away. That's what they're interested in most is power. Now, they love money, no doubt about it, but beyond money, power is what a false prophet is looking for. Now, Paul saw right through this false prophet here, and by the power of the Holy Ghost caused him to be struck blind. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, unfortunately for us, false prophets today are not as easily spotted as Elimus the sorcerer here. They're not walking around with a t-shirt on that says, hey, I'm a false prophet. <laughs> they're not carrying a sign saying false prophet here, you know. And so, and they're also not publicly opposing us like they did Paul here. Instead, instead, the biggest danger is they blend in with the brethren. That's where we come into trouble. When they blend in, with the brethren. Now, Paul talked about that, what kind of false prophet it is. And he warned the church at Corinth about it. You know, that church at Corinth, they call it the, the troubled church because there was such a mix of people in there with different beliefs and backgrounds. And then when they come to Christ, then they all needed to get together on the same wavelength and be like that first church where they had all things in common and understood the truth. And so Paul had to teach them over and over about the truth. And one of the problems they had was false prophets that would creep into the church and mix and mingle, and nobody could tell who they were. And then they, those false prophets start giving their ideas and start getting people on their side, and it causes church troubles. So in Second Corinthians 11 and 13, Paul writes, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Do you see that? So they're false prophets, but yet they're putting on the appearance that they're actually apostles of Christ, like Paul and John and Peter and, and all those. Verse 14, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And so it's hard sometimes to see through these angels of light. Somebody that creeps in, comes in, looks looks right, sounds right. I mean, he's talking. He sounds like sounds like y'all are belong. They speak well. They're they're likable in their presentations. They dress the part. They carry the right Bible. They say the right words, and even throw in some Christian cliches. But they've crept in. In my seminary days at Crown College, Pastor Sexton would often say, "The closer something resembles the truth." the more dangerous it is. And that's what happens with a false prophet. They want to appear to be just like you.
In our opening text in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And Paul, Paul said the same thing to the elders of the church at Ephesus. Just before he departed, he told them this in Acts 20 and 28. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone, night and day with tears. There was a big problem in Paul's day. You, you had all these people that came in, crept in behind Paul after he leaves somewhere and start teaching negative or, or the opposite of what Paul just taught. And it had people confused. And Paul said, listen, I've been warning you and warning you, look out for these people. They're going to come in. They're going to creep in. And they're ravenous wolves. Oh, they look like sheep. They look like they belong. They look like they ought to be in the flock. They've got the same, the same fire on them. But boy, you better watch out because one day they're going to pull off the mask. And they're a grievous wolf. And they're coming out to, to, to destroy. And the day that we live in right now, like I said, there's more false prophets than there ever has been. And it's easier nowadays to get, for them to get their message out. They've got the power of radio, television, the internet, uh, all the, the social media apps that's available now, and people can go out and poof, by one push of a button, they've got the attention of thousands of people all at once. As time goes on, people get further and further away from the truth of God's Word. Why is that? Because they're not reading God's Word. People are not opening their Bibles and reading what God says. And so some false prophet comes along, he says, well, you know what God says, yeah, and then he'll tell them something that's not true. And they'll say, yeah, uh-huh, it says that in the Bible. No, no, you didn't read your Bible. You, you took their word for it. And so that's one of the dangers of not studying and knowing God's word for yourself. It's hard to understand sometimes when somebody's not telling you the truth. They may take a portion of Scripture and they may give you the right part of it and then change one word or change something about it or make it seem like it, it means something that it does not. And if you don't know your Bible, you may be so gullible enough to go along with them. I, I knew a guy, he was, he was hardcore Baptist all of his life and all of a sudden a Jehovah Witness comes to his door, knocks on it, invites him in. What's he? he sits down at the table. He starts showing him things in the Bible and he's like, well, I didn't ever know that. They never told me that over at the Baptist church. He joined the Jehovah Witnesses. Because that guy led him to the untruths. And now I'm sure he's using their little, their little watchtower book now to, to follow his life with. And so that is why when someone is, is saying something to you, you need to understand, is that what God's word says? So don't take your pastor's word for everything. Don't take your Sunday school teacher's word for everything. Look in God's Word and see what it says. I beg you, if I say something up here that you don't think is right, look in God's Word. Come to me and say, Brother Byron, that is not what God's Word says. Tell me, I want to know. So read your Bible for yourself. Don't rely on somebody else to tell you what it says. You need to know. 
Jesus warned before he returned to this earth that many false prophets would arise. Matthew 24 and 11, he says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Friends, when we get deceived, I mean, we're doomed. Further down that same chapter, Jesus said this, Matthew 24 and 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. I mean, this is some strong stuff coming from the Lord warning us. There's going to be some people that's going to be so convincing that even the elect could be fooled about it if it's possible. And so that's one of the greatest dangers about false prophets. They're so good at it. They look so much like the real thing. They deceive even those that should be the hardest to deceive. Just imagine somebody that knows nothing about the Bible. How easy it would be for them to, to get them to go along with everything they say. That's how you have cults like these we mentioned at the beginning of the service. That's how 909 people will, will kill themselves by suicide because some man said, well, God says we need to do this and we need to do that, you know, and you need to take your own life, drink, you know. That's why they do it. They don't know anything about God's Word. And so have you ever wondered why false prophets do what they do? <laughs> I mean, why would you want to purposely deceive someone? Well, fortunately for us, the Bible tells us, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 2 Peter 2, start with verse 1, the Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. you see that? They're going to evil speak of the truth. So it's the opposite of the truth. In verse 3, 2 Peter 2 and 3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And so the Bible says they do it out of covetousness. In other words, greed. A greedy desire is what that word means. These false prophets, they desire such thing as money and power, prestige, fame, influence. They want all those things. That's what they're after. Most of all, they're after you to make merchandise of you. That's what the Bible says right here. With feigned words, make merchandise of you. You know what merchandise is, right? It's what you go and buy. It's stuff that's for sale. It's stuff out there that, that attracts you and you want it. You give money for it. Merchandise. There used to be a store called Service Merchandise. They had the wonderful things in there. You go in there and, and, and get it, and then they had the conveyor belt, and you had to wait, and it come down the conveyor belt. Uh, I love that place. But uh, merchandise, it's stuff. And so the Bible says these false teachers, what they want to do is they're going to use you as a piece of merchandise that they can just sell off for the highest bidder. As much as they can get out of you, they're going to get it. And so it, you're, you're a trinket to be sold to the highest bidder. These false prophets, they don't care about the souls of their listeners. They could care less if somebody dies and go to hell. It doesn't matter to them one bit. All they want to do is use them to gain the one thing they're looking for or the many things, their money, their power, their prestige, their fame, their influence, whatever it may be. That's what they're looking for as a false prophet. So, how do we spot them? 
I told you several things we're going to look at. How we spot the false prophet. How do we keep ourselves from being deceived or being made merchandise of? First of all, to be able to discern who is teaching, preaching, or speaking the truth, we have to have help. We can't do it on our own. We need the Lord. And fortunately for the Christian, we already have the Lord's help available to us. Let me give you just a few verses that proves that. John 14 and 17, the Bible says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. It's talking about the Christian. The Spirit of truth. The Spirit. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's what the, what the Lord's talking about. The Holy Spirit. When you get saved, He comes and lives within you. You have access to Him. The world does not. So you have the Spirit of truth. John 15 and 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of me. So there, the Comforter, it's another word for the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says there again, what's he have? The spirit of truth. And, and what is it? He, say, he shall testify of me. So we have that discernment through the Holy Spirit to be able to understand, oh, wait a minute now, something don't sound right right here. Something's, something's fishy. What you're saying don't line up with what I, I believe to be the truth. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. You've got to be in, in contact with the Holy Spirit. Even though He's in you, a lot of people push Him away. A lot of people are not acquainted with the Holy Spirit that lives within them. You must be acquainted with Him that when He speaks to you, you hear His voice. You recognize His voice. And you say, oh, oh, amen. Something inside me saying, no, 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 that's not right. John 16, 13. How be it, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. 1 John 4 and 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. So there is a Spirit of truth. There is a Spirit of error. There's a true prophet of God that speaks God's word, and there's a false prophet of God who is not a prophet of God. He's a, he's a, he's a false teacher. And so, therefore, every believer has access to the truth through the Holy Spirit. And like I said, our biggest problem is that most believers are out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so they're not allowing Him to guide them in the truth. They walk in the flesh and allow their flesh to lead them. And that's the main reason someone that is a Christian can be led astray, deceived by a false prophet. Because they're not walking in the spirit, they're walking in the flesh. And that's why when you turn on the TV, there's a televangelist on there. Oh boy, I like to hear him. He's funny. Oh, he tells some jokes. Oh, I like to hear him speak. Oh yeah, they are. Oh yeah. You better be careful. Not only are we to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in discernment between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, but in our opening text, Matthew seven sixteen, Jesus said, Ye shall know them by their fruits. And in verse 20, Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. The fruit is a byproduct of something. It's something that grows off something else. And so he says, Look at this person that's speaking to you, that's claiming to be of God. And see what they're producing. Are they producing truth? Are they producing fruit? Is it, is it ripe fruit? Is it good fruit? Is it good things? 
or is it not good things? And so I'm, I'm sure everybody here is familiar with the Bradford pear tree, right? Bradford pear. Oh, they're beautiful to look out when they bloom and all that stuff and, and all the problems you have. You can't eat the pears off a of Bradford pear tree. They're terrible. We had one in our front yard. You know what we did with them? We had fights with them. We took those pears and slung them at each other and, you know, and ran. We put up those, uh, those lounge chairs that <laughs> had the little vinyl slats in it. You know, we'd, that you do out in three things. We put them down and we'd get behind them and I'd throw it so hard it'd go all the way through those vinyl straps. Hit my sisters with them. But anyway, um, you can't eat the pears off of a Radford pear tree. They are inedible. They're terrible. Their leaves are bright and green. They look full. They look beautiful. And you'd think, well, this is the greatest thing, but it will never grow an edible piece of fruit. So that is known as bad fruit. If you want a pear tree that you can eat the fruit of, you need a Bartlett pear tree. That's the kind of pears you see in the store, the good juicy ones. Oh, I love those things, especially when they're good and, and, and uh, not too hard. They're kind of soft. I'll eat the peeling and all on those. I love them. Uh, but they lack the beauty of the other trees. The tree is not that, that great to look at. Just a plain Jane tree. But they produce good fruit. And that's what they're known for. Well, it's the same with the false prophet. They can dress up. They can look pretty. They may wear a $1,000 suit, have perfect hair, perfect teeth. But if you can get past that outer shell... And see what's really down inside out of them. They're rotten to the core. The fruit that they produce is rotten because it does not line up with God's word. For instance, turn on that TV set. Tune into one of those channels, Daystar, Trinity Broadcasting. It doesn't matter. Turn on one of those religious stations. And tune into a televangelist preaching. See if what they're saying lines up with the Word of God. Now, sometimes some of the things they say may line up. But listen to everything they say. Is everything they say, is it lining up with God's Word? Are they claiming God told them this and it's not in God's Word? Take a look at their lifestyles. Take a look at the fruit they're producing. Now, this is going to make some people mad. I don't know if anybody in here is going to get mad about it. Somebody's going to get mad. Look at Jesse DePlantis. Net worth $50 million. One of his sermons, he said, If I give $1,000, I deserve to get back 100000 because I am just. That's not greed. He also claims Jesus told him to buy a $54 million jet so that he could share the gospel faster. And he also claimed if Jesus was living here on earth right now, I guarantee he wouldn't be riding on a donkey. He'd buy a jet. Look it up. See if I'm telling you the truth or not. It's out there. How about Kenneth Copeland, the richest televangelist in the world? $760 million net worth. He claims that Jesus was dragged down into the bowels of hell where he'd been beaten and bruised by Satan and his demons until Jesus finally fought his way out of hell three days later. He also insists that he has to fly on a private jet because commercial jets are filled full of demons. It's just like a, a cylinder in the air full of demons. And somebody said, you tell me that you think that people riding in an in a airplane, a commercial airplane, they're all demons? He said, don't you say I said that. I didn't say that. He looked like the devil come out in him when they asked him about that. 
Here's one's gonna gonna make you real mad. Joe Olstein. Net worth sixty million dollars. In his book, Your Best Life Now, he said, To experience God's immeasurable favor, you must rid yourself of that small minded thinking and start expecting God's blessings. Start anticipating promotion and supernatural increase. You must conceive it in your heart before you can receive it. In other words, you must make increase of your own thinking. Then God will bring those things to pass. Huh? I'm like, Joel, where, where did you get that from? I, is that in the book of Osteen? I, I can't find it in my Bible. And so it's, it's health, it's wealth, it's prosperity, it's name it and claim it, it's God wants you to prosper. Where's that in the, in the Bible? He wants your soul to prosper. He could care less about your bank account, your house, your car, or your clothes, or any of that stuff. That's not, that's not even part of it. He wants your soul to prosper. But he's not, he's not out there to guarantee you, oh, if you do this or do that, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna be rich. Here's one for you. Joyce Meyer. Net worth $25 million. First, just the fact that she claims to be a preacher should show us right away she's a false prophet. Uh, she claims that Jesus was the first person to be born again. When he became a sinner and was sent to hell and tortured by the devil for his sins. I looked all through the Bible. I could not find that in there. I saw where he led the captives out of captivity. I saw those things, but I never saw where the devil, where he went to hell and became a sinner. Nowhere in the Bible do you see where Jesus became a sinner. He became sin for us, but not a sinner. He didn't have to be born again. But she claims he was the first born again. She claims also that once she was saved, she is no longer a sinner. All right. So these so-called pastors, preachers, whatever, I use that term loosely, they're part of the word of faith movement. Uh, the speaking into existence by placing faith in the word of God. Actually, they're asking you to place your faith in them. Now, if you've ever watched the 60-minute special where they go to these places and start going through their dumpsters and finding the envelopes and everything where people sent all their donations... All they do is they open up those letters, they look for a donation, they throw the rest of that away, they could care less about anything about it. All they want is your money. And so <laughs> they're the name it and claim it preachers, and they preach a prosperity gospel, and they are false prophets. Now some people say, Brother Byron, you ought not to get in church and name names. Well, that's funny to me because the Bible, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, named names of false prophets and, and, and uh, teachers that were... Uh, evil. And so I believe they need to be called out. I believe they need to have their, their, their feet held to the fire and realize God's not pleased with this. What is a false prophet? Somebody that claims to be speaking God's word, but isn't. They're misspeaking God's word for their own advantage. They're using it. Now, prophets, some false prophets will take bits and pieces of the truth out of God's word, use it out of context if it fits their narrative. For example, we're all familiar with this verse of Scripture, Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, the pro false prophet is going to use this verse. He's going to take it out of context to mean this means physical healing. 
That, oh, if you just believe it right there, it says by his stripes we're healed. You should be healed if you believe in Jesus. Uh, they'll say things like that. Uh, if you have cancer or some other disease or sickness, just believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross because after all, by his stripes we are healed. It's not talking about physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing. Because without the Lord, we are, we're bound for hell. And by his stripes... We are healed of our spiritual condition. It doesn't mean that when you believe in Jesus, he's going he's to wipe your body clean as a slate. Not while you're here on this earth. There's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. Now, when we go to heaven, we're going to get a new body, and it will be perfect. But until then, we're going to be plagued with this sin-filled body. So they take that verse out of context, apply it to physical healing, when in fact it's talking about spiritual healing. That's why it says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. What does it mean our peace? Our peace, we have to have peace with God because we're at war with him when we're lost. And so he hung on the cross and by his stripes we were healed and we could be made peace with God. He took our chastisement. He took our punishment, our stripes, so we didn't have to and made peace with God for us. And so that's why Paul writes in Romans 5, 6 through 11, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's me, the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God committeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. It was by his stripes we were healed spiritually. We were given hope for heaven. Paul wrote this to the church at Colossae. will be finished. Colossians 1, 19 through 22. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. There we have it. He said, what Jesus did for you on the cross, he made peace between you and God. He gave you access to, to God. But the false prophet, he'll misuse verses to fit his false theology. And, of course, it sounds good. It always does. You go to somebody with cancer and say, well, the Bible says, you know, by his stripes you're healed. Anything's going to make them think, that, you know, give them hope. Sure, it gives them hope, but it's false hope. It's not by his stripes that they can be healed of their cancer. It was, uh, who was it, um, uh, the, the piano player for the, for the uh, cathedrals, um, Roger Bennett. When he had cancer, he said people would come up to him and say things like, you know, if you were walking close to God in God's will, you wouldn't have this cancer. He said that was the very worst thing of the whole time he was dealing with cancer was people coming up to him and telling him that he had done something that angered God and God gave him cancer. What kind of hope is that? 
Listen, the reason we get cancer and sickness and disease is because of sin, the original sin. Not that you may have went out and did a sin and God said, no, I'm giving you cancer, that's not it. we just naturally going to get diseases and sickness because of sin in the world. If sin had never came to the world, everything would be perfect. There would be no sickness, no death, no cancer, no diabetes, no high blood pressure. But because of one man, Adam... Because of the sin of one man, then it came upon all men. And so, a few more other marks of false prophets. They desire large crowds because they need people behind them. They thrive on people listening to them. It gives them a feeling of being legitimate. You get enough people, you feel like what you're saying is legitimate. See, all these people agree with me. I must be doing something right. Uh, See all the people in the building? See all the money I have? That proves God is using me. So large crowds followed a lot of people through this world. I've seen old videotapes of people following the Beatles, thousands and thousands of people following the Beatles. Was God using them? (laughs) Is the ministry everything about being big, big, big? It is for some men. That's all all they care about is being big. They're filled with pride. They brag about their abilities, their past accomplishment, their successful campaigns. They're always speaking about themselves and how much they've been blessed. God's blessed me. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the car I drive. Look at the house I live in. Look at everything that I own. Look at my bank account. It's all about them. But one of the biggest indicators that someone is a false prophet is they're constantly telling you God spoke to them. That's their biggest thing. God spoke to me. God told me this. God said this to me. Jesse DePlantis actually said God asked him for his advice. Look, I've watched hours and hours of these false prophets and their videos or sermons online, and every single one of them go on and on and on about God spoke to me. God said this and God said that. Every single one of them. There's a good man out there that preaches. His name's Justin Peters. He spends his entire life in ministry calling out false prophets and proving from God's word why they're false prophets. He's got a famous quote. You may have heard it. He said, want to hear God speak to you? Read your Bible. Want to hear God speak audibly? Read it out loud. And that's the truth. A lot of people sitting around waiting to hear a voice from God, yet never opened up the Word of God. Open it up. He speaks to you through His Word. And so we must be diligent in our everyday life. We must be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Listen to His voice. Discern those that are false prophets and and true. And when it comes to anyone claiming to speak from God, you must look in God's Word and say, is what they're saying in God's Word? Because if it's not, they're a false prophet. All right. First of all, you must be saved. If you're ever going to (laughs) be... Away from a false prophet, you've got to be saved. You've got to have that spiritual discernment. You've got to be in God's Word. And I want us to, uh, Brother Scott, if you come get an invitation song, and I know this has not been much in a, I guess, a salvation message, but I know God can use anything any way He desires. Uh, maybe He's speaking to you today about something. I don't know what it may be. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and pray. This is a time to do that.
You can come to this altar and pray. So let's all stand together. and I'm going to pray. And uh, if you need help, you come down the altar. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today just asking for your help during this invitation time. Lord, if there's one here with a need, uh, may this be the day that that need gets met. God, may they just uh, trust you, step out, God, and just uh, hand it over to you. Lord, I don't know what the problem may be. You do. And God, we just pray that you help them, Lord. Help us here this morning, and we'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.